Howdy friends, welcome to the Founders Forge podcast. This is Marcus welcoming you to our Founders Forge off-season. It also happens that the end of our first season coincided with me taking a bit of a hiatus to battle burnout, so it was a bit of an abrupt ending. However, to give a holdover till next season, I am dropping in a feed drop of a podcast that I was a guest on talking about technology and technical debt for all of y'all to listen to. So if you want to listen to that, go ahead. That's what this episode is. Otherwise, stick around for a little bit and we'll be dropping our new season in the next couple of months. Until then, stay safe and sane and keep up the hard work. Now, without further ado, my interview with Brad. Hi, Marcus. How are you? Howdy, Brad. Doing pretty well. Um, so season two, kicking off. I have a new blue background. You have QR codes. I'm almost jealous of the QR codes. That's that's very, very slick. Zoom um, Pro. Yeah, love it. Love it. Uh, so we've been trying to get this, this interview on the books for a while, so I'm, ha- I'm happy we're doing it. Um, do you want to just introduce yourself real quick to tell, uh, tell everybody what you're doing? Yeah, um, I'm Marcus Smith. I am a software engineer, used to work in the defense industry, then decided I wanted to quit the stable job and work with startups. And so I've been on a journey of building out a resource networking company where right now the primary thing we do is leverage our knowledge of technology to help startups with their technology needs and connecting them with the experts they need within the technology space. Nice. And started amidst the pandemic and a booming business so far, right? Well, so yeah, uh, we started um, specifically in the dev space. We had, we did several other things before moving into like contract dev Mm -hmm. and we started that, you know, end of the year before COVID. I think that was still last year, right? (laughs) And um, moved, moved to Philly right before the pandemic and then had to try and do all of the biz dev and finding clients in a new city in the midst of the pandemic. Yes. Sweet. You're, you're doing great. I'm proud of you for what it's worth. Um, t- talk to me about, so I know I like startups. I think startups are fun and special, but like, why do you like startups and what, like, just tell me about startup life or helping them out or just stories, please. Yeah, yeah, for sure. Uh, so we got into this space because initially we were like, hey, we want to make our own cool stuff for ourselves. We had a bunch of really fun ideas, uh, a lot of hard technologies too, that we were like, we had to go do it for ourselves. And then we were like, well, you have to have money to do it for yourself. And we don't have money, so we need to make money. And so we were like, we could do it for other people and then do it for ourselves. And so we started talking about, you know, doing technology for other people. And then it became like, well, why just technology? You know, people who are trying to create startups and, you know, entrepreneurial ventures need all types of stuff. So let's connect them with that too. And, you know, a very small thing became a very big thing. But ultimately, we care about startups because we care about innovation. We care about taking and making the world, making the world a better place, as it were. But through the lens of making things more efficient and leveraging new technologies to do life better. And that's primarily done through startup technologies, 
um, most big firms are protecting their moats with existing technologies or leveraging new technologies for their existing, you know, offering. I like the the idea of the moat, kind of like breaking into the castle, storming it. It's it's a fun a fun idea. Oh yeah, I'm into it. Um, I, I have this talk with a mentor of mine, kind of like every week, and every week we kind of talk about we come back to this idea of the um, the definition of innovation or creativity, and we talk about like to me it's kind of like combination sometimes. Sometimes you can make something out of nothing. But a lot of times, like two existing things combined in kind of a, a, a novel way and also something new, right? Yeah. I feel like that's a lot of what you seem to be doing. Agree? Disagree? Thoughts? Yeah. So <laughs> our, uh, <laughs> our like catchphrase, our coined catchphrase for Axon is curated integration. So like using oversight to find different things that aren't together and integrating them together in a way that like make new awesome stuff. And my, you mentioned like you seeing two different things and putting them together and whatnot. Like I'm a ideas person through and through and my process, like people, my wife will be like, how did you come up with that idea? And I'm literally, I'm like, literally I was looking at that thing and saying, what if we applied this to that? And that's just, pretty much the extent of every idea I come up with is like, apply this to that. Yeah, yeah, uh, I'm into it. I also like, I went to a liberal arts college. So like they, mm. they tell you about like, oh, you're supposed to learn, you're supposed to take a, a anthropology class and like a religion class and stuff because it'll help you later on. It's like, they, they came, same kind of philosophy. Anyway, we're, we could get too deep in education going there, but go, go. A it's, it's a dangerous path for me. Uh, I've right, got plenty of opinions. Uh, let's, let's keep going. So someone comes to you with a startup idea i i think sometimes you know ideas are like assholes everyone's got one and they all stink but you know people people come to you with ideas you got to help them what do you like what's your process for somebody it could be a bad idea it could be a good idea like how do you how yeah mold them or shape them or get them in the right direction well so the the, the first assumption is that i have to have to you know, help them. And, and the reality is I don't have to, but I choose to. <laughs> um, and kind of the process for that, everyone, like you said, everyone has an idea. Not everyone knows how to think about ideas correctly. And most people who are coming to me with an idea probably haven't done this whole entrepreneurship thing before. And so the first thing I do is I introduce them to the concept of the lean canvas, which I don't know if you're familiar with the lean canvas, but it's basically a business model on a, you know, eight and a half by 11, or is that, is that the right size sheet of paper? And the idea is you cover the core pieces of your business in a very straightforward way. And hopefully you can do it in 15 minutes or less is like the idea. And so the first thing I do is like, stop trying to make an idea before you have a business, start with figuring out if you have a business. And so, taking them through that. And then they say, Oh, I have no idea about <laughs> what my customer's problem is. Well, if you don't know what your customer's problem is, then let's start back at the beginning before you start building something. And so for the first thing I want to do is like, make sure that they're following a good business process. Now, if they understand the business stuff, they've already kind of mapped all this stuff out. Then really the question is, you know, how does the technology you're trying to produce solve the problem that you're, you're facing? And you have to choose technologies. 
you know, regarding that. And often there are MVPs, minimum viable products that you can do that don't require building something out all the way. If we get all the way to the building something out all the way, then we talk about specific technologies that enable that to be done quicker versus slower and iteration to be done quicker versus slower to be able to prove those assumptions that you otherwise um, <laughs> would run up against after you've built this whole big thing and you find out that your customers hate what you're trying to create. Sure. Uh, I feel like we could talk for the about the business stuff for a long time, but like, uh, we got to save that. Let's try and stay technical. I like, you'd hope that in Philly, all the Wharton kids should be influencing us to like think real well about business, but sometimes even talking to them, you're like, no, 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 no. But anyway, so let's talk technologies. We talked about picking technologies and MVPs. Um, what, like, I see a lot of people picking technologies and it becomes almost like an, a religious thing. Like they're like, this is the technology. This is the only technology that we use, right? Or whatever. Oh, so true. Whatever it is. How do you, but I also could understand that you pick a technology for one startup and like all startups look the same to you after a while like you, mm -hmm. you have you have a hammer and everything looks like a nail oh it's so true like how how do you what's the right answer right because i feel like maybe 80 percent of the time you could pick the same or a related stack and it's good but like tell me about the process like how do you because i feel like this is the thing that people and startups like really get themselves into trouble with they dig themselves holes with bad stacks and then they have to like rebuild everything. And they're like, why did I, why do I have to rebuild? I don't understand. It works fine. Like, you know, That's like, exactly so, it. So explain that to me in 10 minutes. <laughs> so uh, the concept you're talking about is called technical debt. Yeah. Um, but, but really though, like everything, I think when you're looking at choosing technologies is what I would call mitigating technical debt. So, you know, the first thing is, are you going to create something now that ultimately you'll never be able to use again. A good example of that is, um, I don't know if you've heard of bubble.io. Great concept. Um, and it's actually one of the many technologies I want to learn to build MVPs in, because I think there might be certain situations where you can quickly prove assumptions using it. However, bubble.io does not allow you to take what you've built and put it somewhere else. They're a walled garden closed off space where once you've built your thing in bubble.io, it will always be in bubble.io and you can't take that and, and put it somewhere else. And so what that, there's a point, bubble's great if your customer base is only gonna be up to a certain amount or the type of things that you wanna do fit within a, a certain set of, of functions, but, if you ever want to expand out of that, you very may well have to totally toss out what you had and make a V 2.0 that is in something else. Mm -hmm. So everything when I'm working with a client is what's the technology that's going to not just work for you now, but also work for you years down the road when you to get to where you want to be. And so there are certain things like, if you're building a calculator app, um, really that can be done as a mobile application. Um, 
unless it, I don't know. No, it, it could be done as a mobile application. Um, and the use case may be very well a mobile application, but the moment that someone wants your calculator app as you know, a web application, they, they wanna be able to do it on their desktop as well, you're gonna to have to be rethinking all of your assumptions and rebuilding stuff from the ground up. So I don't know if you've heard of the term uh, progressive web app. Um, <laughs> I know you have, um, other people may not as, as much, but it's this new kind of new quote technology has been around for probably, I don't know, almost a decade, maybe not. Man, technology moves so quick. Um, and that kind of bridges the gap between some of these technologies. So when you're talking about how do you choose technologies that mitigate technical debt, you want to like first and foremost, find a technology that will be able to grow with you or that you'll be able to easily transition to something else that can grow with you. Uh, React as a language is probably one of the most flexible or framework flexible frameworks that allow you to transition into mobile native mobile is able to do progressive web apps is able to be you know run desktop you know as a desktop web app and so as as far as someone coming in and saying i want to build some gen generic application that might be a really great space because it's able to cover those different bases but if someone's coming to me and they want to build something that will only and ever have to be connected to the internet. Um, and the mobile experience only works when they are connected to some type of data provider, then there's really no need to have a native app because the, except for a few very specific technologies within uh, a native phone, uh, you're able to do all that stuff and your, the user experience is gonna be done through the internet which opens up the door for technologies that are purely what you would call cloud native. Um, so that's, that's one part is just, you know, knowing what your specific business use case is. Um, and then there are certain technologies that are really great for both quick building and quick scaling that we specifically like. Uh, one of those is Django, which is a, a backend framework that, really takes and abstracts a lot of the complexities of building something and allows you to do that very quickly. However, the technologies behind it are very clean and lean and scalable. And so you're not, you know, using some weird database that, you know, is obscure and can't scale. You're using, you know, Postgres, which is a really, you know, strong, solid database. And so another key piece of what we try to do is, when we're working with someone, once we know kind of where their business case is, we say, what's going to be the technology that is both agile and scalable? And that looks different in several different, you know, in, in the many different cases, but not every, you know, not every business is alike. If you are doing some type of complex health app where the user wants to have their data specifically on their phone at all times, whether they're connected to the internet or not, and it's using heart rate sensors and it's using these different, you know, telemetry data, that can't be done. You know, a web app is not able to access that information. So you really are talking more towards a mobile application. Yeah, so I, I like the general advice 
I thought you were a view guy, by the way, but let's talk React. I, I am a view guy. Um, I, I understand the flexibility of React. I, I think Vue is a much quicker um, technology and is a lot cleaner to develop in. Um, but no, I think that's fair. But uh, React Vue is similar, but I think React React wins as far as a general recommendation. Let's say so. I think let's say the general recommendation might be React front end, and I think Django back end is fine. I, I'm I'm with it. I I'm gonna try and pretend like I don't have any value judgment behind this. Why not? Uh, Node JavaScript backend? Yeah, um, Node is great. And I really think there are a couple different technologies that are taking Node and getting it closer to kind of the all-inclusiveness that Django, is, Django has. Uh, Django, as far as a technology, has been around long enough that it's gained a, a mass and a momentum behind it for different packages um, and built-in functionality that just out of the box work and are very quick to develop. Uh, Node is, is definitely getting there. And I think as a principle, I would definitely say like, because if you're using any type of JavaScript framework front end, by using Node, you're only operating within one language base, even though, you know, that's slightly different frameworks and whatnot. So that's fabulous. Uh, what I do like about Django is that it has a lot of robustness behind it and um, especially, specifically, and not to get too technical, the ORM, the object relations model is, um, is really fantastic within Django. And so you're able to do a lot of really strong, complex stuff that um, at, at a very quick pace. Yeah, agreed. And I like, can we, let's talk through this one. I think this is fun. So like, is it, is it, okay, all JavaScript, if you have to, if you can afford a second language, Python gets you, Python and Django in particular gets you additional flexibility. And I think it go mm -hmm. far further. You said, oh, you're using Postgres. If you're using their ORM, you can switch databases, like, exactly whatever, to whatever you want. Um, and I think Python gives you the, additional flexibility, like if you want to do some crazy data, big data, machine learning, mm -hmm. C extensions, you can extend Python into C and like you can, exactly. do, you can do it like that, that pairing with like, as you see with like NumPy and Pandas, you can get huge, um, like multi-processing, massively scaled, wonderfully fast compiled code with Python as well. So it's like, okay, all JavaScript, if you must, add Python backend, if you can. And then on the front end, we, we talked a little bit, okay, switch from React to more native technologies, if you need to, like if you need access to the sensors or like local data storage or offline or all that other stuff. I like, I haven't talked about this in like theory for a long time, but I like this, this progression. And, and that's the thing is it is like, there are people who are like, only this language, this language wins at every single moment. And I'm like, languages are built specific to specific tasks and or frameworks are built specific to specific tasks. And so they can't do every single task perfect or every, you know, every single task great. And so you go to different technologies for different tasks that need to get done. Like you said, yeah, if you're trying to do data processing, any type of ML type stuff, you really want to have that Python in there. 
and Django is, is a great um, kind of framework to operate within for that. Uh, I really do think Vue as a technology, it's just, it's a far, far cry different from both, you know, React and Angular, which were its predecessors. And this is something I actually I tweeted the other day was uh, there's a, a thing called a single file component, which encapsulates all of the necessary scripts and template and styling all into one file that makes clarity of operating within Vue super nice. And I just kind of thought it was a default to all you know modern JavaScript frameworks, but it's not. And it caught me the other day. I'm like, oh, like this would be one reason I would totally su suggest Vue over React. But again, Vue does not have the native support that React does. One day I think it will, um, but it does now in React as far as finding developers, uh, which this is like a, a huge piece of, if you're a startup and you're trying to build something, <laughs> if you pigeonhole yourself and you say, man, I really want to go work with the newest, coolest technology, Flutter, Good Dude, you're, you're going to have a hard time finding solid Flutter devs um, besides the fact that some of Flutter is not really production ready, um, regardless. So I think that's good. I, I think let's, let's stop the tech, picking technologies chat there for a minute. And I think there's some, there's some nuance there. I think we talked broad strokes about like general advice, but I think like there's all sorts of specific and it's fun to oh, think yeah. about those like, I think games are another silly one. Like, would mm -hmm. you use a, a um, like something like Unity or do a native game? Like, for us contractors who generally aren't working in games, maybe that's not a big deal. So, did you just see? Did you see both Stadia and um, what is Facebook's Loon, Luna, or whatever? Both of those are PWAs. Like, yeah. they're like, screw you, Apple. We're not gonna have you take our money. We're just gonna create P PWAs, and they're gonna be strong enough that like we don't have to deal with you. That's, that stuff is, is fun. But I, I, I think to me, I, I generally don't do games. Like that's kind of academic for me. I oh, almost, yeah, for sure. I almost got a, a deal with King.com. Ooh. <laughs> almost. Nice. I just didn't, but anyway, we messed it up. It's all right. We're close. Uh, so let's talk about other things that startups mess up. Like I think what about like DevOps, infrastructure as code, Docker. You love Docker. I love Docker. Oh, yes. Like why, like, why do startups not get that? Like, what's what's wrong with them? And also, why is that important? Pick a side and like just tell. Yeah, us. you don't know what you don't know, and this is like my number one frustration with the modern kind of tech space. Is like, it, it seems like people will be like, oh, just find a technologist and they'll know what they need to to help you go somewhere. And so you go, you find yourself someone who's a developer who's going to be your like technical co-founder, but they've been working, in, you know, maybe they've been working inside of enterprise for the last, you know, 20 years. So they're Java writing in, you know, .NET, .NET stuff, building on metal servers. Yeah. And that's not what you need for a flexible, scalable startup. Like it's just not. No. And so first there's the people just don't know what they don't know. Also, a lot of these technologies like are still kind of making their way into where people get educated. Um, I don't even know if boot camps like educate anything about actual infrastructure or anything like that. I'm not going to say they do or they don't. I, I don't imagine they do. And so like, they're not getting taught there. Dockerization was not taught in school when I was in school, which was only a few years ago. So like it wasn't taught there. The only place you learn this stuff is 
in industries that are doing it right. And so what I'll say there is like, go, <laughs> go find someone who knows to, who to point you to not don't, don't go to go find a technologist who you ask, like, how should I do this? Go find a technologist who says who you can ask, who should I talk to about building a scalable application um, and have them point you to someone else because that'll at least get you closer to someone who probably knows what they're talking about. Regardless, um, as far as, you know, technologies, what you should be doing at this point, if you're not using cloud technologies to do what you're doing. So Docker, um, static file stores, like S3 or Google Cloud Storage to manage your static files, what would be considered the technologies necessary for throughout a term, 12 fact, the 12 factor app, um, then you're going to find yourself incurring technical debt as you move forward, where you get to a point where what you built before is gonna cost you money now. Um, and so, as far as technologies go, if you've Dockerized it, that's at least a great place to start. You'll hear about new ideas like serverless architecture. Um, and, you know, we understand that. There are some people who understand that. That's like a new kind of fatty thing that's still trying to get figured out. Um, or you may have heard of the, um, oh crap, what is it called? Shoot. Um, nope. It's okay. I'm going to talk to you about serverless for one second. Cause I think yeah. you pretend like there's either or you can do both, man. Like, oh, yeah. especially with, uh, with Django and Flask, right. <laughs> Plus this project called Zappa, which is amazing. You can take, take it. You can have Docker file. What is Docker file is for those who don't know. Right? Oh, yes. Is you take what, what someone could do when they're building your app is they could set everything up and install everything on their, their Linux machine or their virtual machine or whatever the weirdness they're running install all this stuff by hand and then run, run your, your program, whatever it does. And then say, Oh, it's done. Here it is. I checked it into GitHub. You can, but if they didn't document how they, what they installed or how to set it up, like, sure. I'm sure they could show you take an hour for every new person who comes on and show you how to do it or pass around. You used to have these hard drives <laughs> with the virtual box oh, yeah. images on it, but like, you don't need to do that. Like, you script everything. It's essentially just mm -hmm. a shell script that installs everything in like a clean ephemeral uh, kind of throwaway container that runs the same on everyone else's machine. So you do that. That's beautiful. That doesn't take long. That's you just do that from the beginning. Say so you can't develop this unless you're using this, which just documents it, which prevents okay. somebody prevents that person who you've abused and underpaid for your MVP from like running away with all the secret knowledge that they have about how to run your thing. So anyway, you do that. You do use a reasonable framework, let's say Django, Flask, whatever. Then you can, through the Zappa thing, there's other projects like it, have you deploy your Dockerize app to uh, Lambda, for example, as a serverless app and it just, all there in one. So, so highly recommended. So that that termination or terminology for like serverless is interesting. Um, Google has a technology that we actually use. So um, if you're talking about scaling technologies, our strategy for scaling technologies is first off, throw the app in a Docker container, make sure that it's 
built with a RESTful API and everything's done in such a way that it can be 12-factor app you know, design. Um, and then we, the first thing we do is say, okay, Docker, go to Google Run. Google Run does like exactly what you said. It, when someone goes to try and access it, it spins it up. It's, it's there. Technically, it's running. It's, getting, it's using resources on a server. But, um, but it's not like it was sitting there you know, running the whole time. And then you can go and access it, and it'll sit around until someone else accesses it. Um, then once you get to a scale where that's not cost effective, you move that over to a what's called a Kubernetes cluster, or there's also Docker. Um, uh, frick. Um, there's a bunch of con container services. They're, they're, they're yes on Amazon, but Elastic Beanstalk and all. This, it depends. Yep. And Azure has their own doc and even Linode, Philly company. Yep. Let's go. Linode has supports Docker's and Kubernetes. So I'm with you. And they basically manage your your application and say like. Oh, cool. Now you've got like a hundred people using it. So now we need to have two versions of it and just boom, there you go. Now, now they've got two. And because it's packaged in that nice little wrapper, um, it's really quick and easy to throw it up there and take it down and put it up again and take it down. And it keeps you from incurring a lot of operational costs to, to run your application um, that you otherwise would be. And anyone, pretty much, unless you're, like I said, a calculator app on a mobile phone, needs to have some type of backend that's processing data and sitting out there on the cloud for applications that people deal with nowadays. Like if you have users, you have an application on the cloud somewhere. Um, and so understanding Docker as a technology, um, some of these serverless technologies, Lambda functions are truly serverless. Um, because it's just a like here run this function through some ram in a processor and spit out whatever you want it to and, and there you have it um all these javascript frameworks um now are able to be i think for the most part put serverless so it's basically hosted statically and that means that like nothing's spending time holding holding it there for you it's just sitting there in a file somewhere and then you go you access the file um, like you'd access a picture, you bring it, bring it to your computer or in your, your phone or wherever, and then your computer runs all the stuff to like interact with it. Um, and so all of these technologies, first off, weren't there like five, 10 years ago. Um, and so you really need, <laughs> you really need someone who's young and new and been in the space or old and cutting edge and been in the space for long enough um to to know where these technologies are and to use them i'm like the only reason i know this stuff is because i had a, a tech lead who was my superior who said we're going to start using docker we're going to start using you know these different services and otherwise you know i wouldn't have been privy until i you know made it on my own and started looking it up so i i think a better phrasing for what you're, what you're talking about i i think to me this this practice is like, it's kind of like weightlifting a little bit to me. I mean, if you're, mm. if you're into weightlifting, you care kind of about, about doing things right. You care about your form and you're like always kind of adjusting your form and you ever, but the thing, the thing about what we do development, right? The right form changes. So you have to care about the news too. You can't just be like, Oh, this is the way we do it. And this is the way we've always done it. No, no, no. It's like, okay, who, who's doing it the best. And it's a big filter because there's a lot of new stuff coming in and like maybe 10% of it is worthwhile. So 
the, the other thing that I think back to weightlifting for a second is like repetition. So mm-hmm. how many reps do you have? Because if you're only working, like you said, the guy, I think a lot of people reach out to that technologist who's working at enterprise and maybe they're at Vanguard or Comcast or something. There's some huge company. They're like, they're not making big tech decisions. They're like plugging away and they're fantastic at SQL and like using cool Java, Lambda suite, whatever the latest Java function. No, no. So you have to understand they're probably using Azure, but regardless. But whatever, it's fine. Maybe. Anyway, but they're they're using their stuff and they like, they like it. And they like, they haven't had to care about the right way to do things because they've been told the way to do things. Right. So you have to like care and you have to have practice and they don't have practice. They have practice doing one thing. It's like, we do Hungarian split squats only at Comcast. And they're like, well, you know, we're, we're doing something different today. We're just doing normal squats. Sorry. And like the, I, I think that just like is so important. And that's why like, I, I tell people this, like this pirate's contractor life is just for me because I get so many reps. So like, exactly. in so many different projects and I feel so much like a, like such a better developer for having seen all this stuff and having to think about this than if I was just heads down on one project the whole time. And like, I miss that sometimes, but I have some of that. Like yeah. there's like a huge chunk of my week that's working on a very small number of projects. But this is, this fun, this, this, this talk, this talk that we're having, this is the good stuff, you know? Well, and, and to your point, like the number of reps and, and whatnot, um, that's <laughs> basically a plug in my mind for contract work that is done for startups. And I don't want to get into all of the diversity of contract work, but when you're, when you're at that startup stage, like you can either find somebody who goes and they're a full stack developer, which I'm not even a, you know, debate on that term. That's a whole different conversation, but they're a full stack developer that can do all of these different things for you, but they probably do all those things like you said, a repetition, they've done them a couple times for, you know, a couple different things. And they probably have one thing that they've done a lot. Um, and so you go and you hire this person, you know, at a full, full wage or whatever, and you're trying to, you know, have them on, or maybe you give them ownership and that gets you a, a, a little, you're spending a little bit of money for a little bit of value. Um, but with contracting, you know, instead of, trying to, you know, get enough work for someone to be full time, you can work with somebody, um, a team that has experts in all these different spaces. And so instead of having someone who's just marginally good at cloud engineering nowadays, because of the contract market being open the way that it is, you can have someone who is an expert in that space. And yes, you're going to pay them a little bit more, but you're only paying them for, a part of their time, not a full 40 hours of work a week. To the same degree with all of these different technologies, you're able to, you know, when you're working with contracting, which I am in the contracting space, so I I do kind of have an opinion about this. um, You're able to pay a little bit more, but then get much higher value in all of these different verticals. And the sad story is, at least for the near term, the technology space is only going to be more and more full of 
tiny little verticals that you need specialists in to be as effective as possible. You know, we talked about cloud infrastructure. We didn't even talk about things that, you know, CI CD services. We didn't even talk about orchestration services or, you know, scripting like Terraform, which like Terraform is its own beast and Terraform. Basically all it does is allows you to programmatically put the right resources in the right place with the right applications at the right time. But that by itself allows you to be a lot more cost effective as a company. And there's a very low likelihood that you're going to find someone who's an expert at that as well as building your MVP app with some web app technology. Yeah. And sometimes too, just people are just funny. Like I wish we could just all publish our salaries and our rates, right? Because like, if you get somebody like, I'm good at all this stuff and you just like, look it up, Look up the keywords, like what should you be making an hour? Okay, why are you saying you only cost 30 bucks an hour? Like, oh yeah. Like it's just not true, it's not true. If they're not, like if they're not charging, like there's this competitive market out there, right? And if you're not kind of like charging the market rate, like something's wrong with you. Like that's a, that's a, that's a used car that doesn't mm -hmm. start, <laughs> I'm telling you. So yeah, for sure, for sure. Well, and, and what you'll find is, and this is probably one of my biggest cautions, um, and I'm just going to throw it out there because it's there, is regardless if you're working with a contract dev shop or someone who's, you know, a developer who that you, you want to bring on as a technical co-founder, you want to hire them on to do freelance work, they're going to say, yeah, I know how to do this. Um, and they do, probably. Um, hopefully, like assuming they're not lying, they do. They know how to build your web app. But there are a lot of other things that go around that that are just as necessary and that if they get it wrong can really be a detriment to you. Um, and so actually something that we have just started doing for clients is we do a tech stack analysis where we come in with ourselves and you know different experts and we look at some of these different things, whether it's security or how the cloud infrastructure is. That's one that we really like to focus on or the specific way that the database is, or you know, the data models are structured, or just best practices in general. And so you, we're able to say like, oh, there's a gap here, they missed this or they missed that. And the reality is even really good developers miss stuff. And so what you really need to recognize, you know, if you're trying to build some new technology from the ground up is you're probably gonna find someone who can do what you need to do at the base level but I'd encourage you to try and find the gaps that they have and fill those with someone else or something else um, that can take care of it for you. I think that's fine advice. Anyway, that, I, I think this was fun. I, I think we gave people a lot to chew on. Um, the other thing maybe to chew on is like, if you're gonna hire a contractor, you need, you need as we, back to the start, you need a business that's going to make money and you need to probably raise money. So like, feel free to reach out to us, but talk to us when you have cash in there. <laughs> oh yeah, for sure. Like that, like that's such an important piece though, right? Um, unless you're spending your own money. And then if you are spending your own money, I encourage you that much more to make sure that you have a good business because you're either throwing your money away um, or, or you're going to get to a point where you've built something no one wants and you don't have the money to make it better which I've actually worked with a client where that's exactly where he was. He had someone go build it. It wasn't what he needed. And he's like, I've run out of money. I don't know what to do now. Yeah. Yeah. People get hung up on this, like 
Steve Jobs. So Steve Jobs turned Wozniak into his slave who built his company for him, right? Page and Bryn started in a garage, but they built it by themselves. They didn't hire, they're like, okay, they didn't know what they were doing, but they built it themselves. Um, Zuckerberg stole the Winklevoss's idea, spun it up, watch the social network, it's all there, right? So like, it's not, these aren't typical stories. These are stories of like special people building stuff. Either they're geniuses or they, well, they're still geniuses, but they took someone else's genius and used it for them. Whatever, like Whatever it was. Yeah. This, is, this is not, these are not typical stories, right? These, these are like special stories and like, I don't know, we put them on a pedestal and that's fine, but it's like not, it's almost, it's almost a fairy tale. It's not useful. It's not useful to think that that's reality. <laughs> yeah, I think. Anyway. 95% of statistics are made up on the spot and 95% of entrepreneurs uh, don't make it. So tell me which everyone's true, but they probably both are. <laughs> That's fun. All right, let's let's get out of here. Thank you, Marcus. It was fun. Thanks, Brad.